Oh, good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to another video cast of The Voice of the Valley. I'm your host, Jeremy Pinch, and obviously we have Pastor John on the other video there. Uh, we are still at home and recording from home, so if you hear children screaming or crying, um, just uh, just ignore that. They're not mine. <laughs> well, so, I don't know. in case there's questions. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. Still know, Sher Sherry, and Sherry could actually start crying or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I heard. Uh, I heard David crying just before uh, just before we started recording there, John. So. Yeah, but that's normal. That's that, <laughs> he does that a lot. So, <laughs> yes, we are. We are still at home. And it is, it is Holy Week this week, and this is one of those weeks that I absolutely love every year as we prepare for, you know, uh, we have Palm Sunday and, and uh, Monday, Thursday with our small groups and Good Friday. This is just one of those weeks that I always enjoy being a part of. But this, this year is unique, obviously, because of, of what we're going through as a nation. Uh, and John, you've been in ministry for a while now. Uh, have you remembered anything like this taking place in, in your uh, 30 years of, of ministry? Well, um, for a while, um, doesn't mean that I was alive during the Spanish flu of 1918. Well, you know, I think you were dangerously close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, of course, Jeremy, I, uh, does anybody remember a pandemic like this? I don't, I don't think so. Um, it's uh, quite the quite the experience we're going through. We're living in through history right now, mm -hmm. as my wife likes to say. But no, this is this is uh, first time I've ever experienced this kind of thing uh, in ministry or in life, for that matter. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, I, I think it's important that um, we view it as an opportunity, an unparalleled opportunity for us as Christians um, and us as a church. I think we need to take full advantage of it in any way we can, which is why, you know, Jeremy, you and I and, and Rick and Deb have been talking about putting out a postcard for our people mm -hmm. and uh, making that available that they could, you know, deliver or send through the mail to their neighbors and friends. That would just be words of encouragement from scripture and maybe um, uh, an invitation to our church when things get back to normal. But uh, yeah, I think we need to take advantage of these things and, and um, figure out creative ways to extend the love of Christ and, and share the gospel. I mean, there's opportunity all around us. And I think we really need to, you know, redeem the time, as Paul would say. Mm -hmm. Now, John, you've, you've mentioned a few times from uh, your pulpit that how, how much you loathe Facebook and... Yeah. Uh, it, it's actually served quite the purpose over these last few weeks of, of uh, ministering to not only our church, but to uh, the church uh, or people rather um, around the valley. Uh, so we are living in, in the best of times and the worst of times when it comes to the ways that we can actually uh, advance the gospel, right? Are you, are you asking me to repent of my disdain <laughs> for Facebook in public? I'm not, I'm not suggesting it, but, <laughs> You're demanding it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I still think it's uh, probably 
99.9% of the time, waste of time, but yes. Yeah. We can talk about that on a different podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, we are not, we are not here to actually talk about current circumstances. I think we've, I think we've discussed it enough. Uh, but we are we are wanting to talk about the actual events that are that are taking place two thousand years ago. What's what's happening uh, during Holy Week? Uh, so you know, John, starting with with Palm Sunday as Christ enters into Jerusalem uh, to Resurrection Sunday. What what transpires throughout that week uh, two thousand years ago? A lot. <laughs> uh, I mean half of the gospel of John is dedicated to that last week of his life and ministry. Um, and a large portion of the other gospels are also dedicated to that last week of Jesus's life on earth. And of course it begins with the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And after the triumphal entry, of course, let me, let me, do you want me to talk about each of these little things individually as sure, we go, sure. Jeremy? Sure, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so um, in John 12, we are um, made aware of, of Jesus' uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the Sunday before he was crucified. And when he entered, it was a unique time in the life of Israel, uh, at least annually unique, because every year on Palm Sunday, or thereabouts, depending on when the you know the Passover fell, uh, they would bring all the, the sheep or the lambs into the temple area mm -hmm. to begin the slaughtering of the Passover lambs uh, on that week. And so it, it's conceivable, and many, many scholars believe that Jesus actually, when he was on the donkey, was in the midst of hundreds of thousands of lambs mm -hmm. that were going to be slaughtered uh, for the Passover. Of course, and this was not coincidental. It was designed by God before eternity or during eternity past, before time. And um, that, that the Son of God, the, the second person of the Godhead, the one who was called the Lamb of God, would enter into the city of David, Jerusalem, um, with all the other lambs that were to be slaughtered for the remission of sin. Mm. You know, three years earlier, John had introduced Jesus to the crowd there uh, in northern Jerusalem area, Judea, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, as we know about God, he, he I think, really likes a good story. Mm -hmm. And the story of Jesus, the Lamb of God, coming into Jerusalem with all the other lambs who had come in annually on an annual basis to, to go through um, the process that they went through to <clears throat> cover the sins of the people. Jesus was there to take away the sins of the people. Mm -hmm. And yet he entered as one of the lambs on that day. What a glorious you know, picture that must have been. And you get to Revelation chapter 5 or 6. And John is describing what he's seeing. And he says, I, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, of course, talking about Jesus. So that triumphal entry was a, a pretty impressive 
um, moving uh, event that initiated that last week of Jesus's life. And after that, he, he went home, went not home, but out to, to Bethel and, um, um, and then uh, spent the night and came back the next day. And the first thing he did was go to the temple and clean the temple out. You know, he went in there with whips and overturned tables and um, got rid of the money changers and so forth and so on. You read of that in these chapters in the Gospels also. So that was the second thing that happened is he, he cleansed the temple. And then he taught in the temple, you know, for the rest of the week, quite a few parables and stories and teachings are recorded in these chapters of the Gospels that describe this last week. And there was a lot of teaching that Jesus was doing at this time. And, and then, of course, the Last Supper was another famous event that took place there. There's some discussion on when that happened, either Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, there's a few notable scholars who believe it happened on Wednesday. Um, although most believe it happened on Thursday, but there are some notable guys out there like James Boyce, for example, who believed that the last supper was on Wednesday and the crucifixion was on Thursday. And uh, he, they have their, their points of argument for that. Um, I guess it really doesn't matter ultimately because the fact is they had a last supper and then they had a crucifixion. Um, but the last supper was, was, was famous because of, what we read in John 13 about what happened there. You know, he initiated the, the, the Lord's Supper, the communion, what we celebrate monthly or, or uh, twice a month at Sun Valley Church, um, and where he washed the disciples' feet and taught on servanthood and humility. And then from there, they, they went out to, after Judas left, you know, Judas was dismissed by, by the Lord and he went to betray Jesus to the, the authorities, the Jewish authorities. And the rest of the disciples and Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And that's when Jesus was trying to get his disciples to watch and pray with him, and they wouldn't do it. They kept going to sleep. And, of course, I don't think they knew what was coming, even though Jesus had told them what was coming. But they were there in the garden when when the, the uh, Jewish authorities showed up with Judas and and soldiers to arrest Jesus. And the famous scene in the Garden of Gethsemane when, when Peter, you know, pulled his sword and cut off the ear of Malchus and Jesus, you know, calmed him down and calmed everybody down and put the guy's ear back on his head and said enough of this and they healed it. That to me would have been sufficient. <laughs> you know, but no, I guess they were used to these miracles that Jesus was doing so much so that the reattaching of a human ear to its complete original state wasn't that all that impressive to the people who were arresting him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, not, to, not to mention the fact too, that when, when he says, who are you looking for? And Jesus says, I am he, I'm the one you're looking for. Yeah. The whole army falls back on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a clear indicator for me too. Yeah. Somebody wasn't paying attention. Um, <laughs> Either that or in God's providence, he, um, he bypassed their normal logic yeah. to allow them to continue to press the issue of yeah. arrest and, 
and ultimately crucifixion. So you have that, that arrest in the garden, and then, of course, the trial takes place. Um, Caiaphas and all the leaders were involved there, making fun of Jesus, accusing him wrongly, fraudulently, mm-hmm. um, doing everything that we read about, which is horrible. I'm going to you know, teach on that but uh, in the coming weeks. But um, then after the arrest and during the trial, we have Peter, who was in the courtyard um, of the high priest, uh, betrayed Christ himself. He denied Christ three times and the rooster crowed and Jesus's eyes and Peter's eyes met and Peter went out and wept and repented of his sin. And that was a pretty <laughs> substantial moment in the life of Peter in our lives, as well as we consider, you know, how often we betray Christ and yet he lovingly forgives. Mm-hmm. But then of course, after the mock trial, um, Pilate has, he's taken to Pilate. Jesus is taken to Pilate, uh, condemned guilty. And, um, of course, Jesus, without defending himself at all, uh, like a lamb before the slaughter, he went silently. And then he was delivered to Pilate. Pilate hears him out. Pilate doesn't see any reason to um, condemn Christ, but he washes his hands of this because of the pressure put on by the Jews. And then he has Jesus scourged and uh, delivers him for crucifixion. Jesus carries his cross up um, the Golgotha, the hill of crucifixion. Uh, he's crucified, he's buried, and then, of course, on Sunday morning, which is what we'll be celebrating this coming Sunday, he is he resurrects from the dead. Yeah. yeah. And our salvation is secured at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's obviously a lot that's going into. <laughs> yeah. Busy week. Yeah. <laughs> you thought you had a busy week. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> seriously. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is, this is the point of, of why Christ came, right? This, this week was, was, was the focus of Jesus's ministry because this is where he was going to die. And then this is what he said in John 12. He said, this is why I came. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I want to bring up a couple of unique things that that take place specifically on um, the day that Christ dies. Okay, so so Christ is he's he's interrogated by the Jews and he's taken to Pilate where he is he is there uh, deemed guilty and they send him off. He's carrying his cross, but then we come again uh, to a guy named Simon of Cyrene, and he ends up carrying the cross for Christ. Yeah. And usually I, you know, when I read these, this, this account, um, I just blow over that portion of scripture and I just don't really think about it, but what's, what's the significance of Simon carrying the cross of Christ? You know, um, I think you, you've, you've referred to it, touched on a little bit here, but there's never anything insignificant in scripture. You know that, right? You're, you're, in the middle of Bible school right now, you know that there's nothing in Scripture that's haphazard or incoincidental. Yeah, there's always a reason why things are included, mm-hmm. and you need to ask if you're a Bible student, why is this included, and why is it included here? What's what's the point of the author? What's the point of the Holy Spirit? If the if the Word of God is inspired, what, these authors aren't wasting ink or breath when they're yeah. writing this and speaking these things. So it's a good question. Um, the gospel of Mark records this event of Simon of Cyrene. Not all the gospels record it. 
but the Gospel of Mark does. And the, he refers to the situation with Simon of Cyrene um, uh, because of, I guess, the Gospel. You know, the um, Simon was, as far as as far as an onlooker would be concerned, or as far as a, a superficial reader would be concerned, he was pulled out of the crowd by chance. He was standing there, right? <laughs> Um, and he pulled out of the crowd, but when, when, uh, and, and, and so the reason he was pulled out of the crowd is because Jesus fell. He couldn't, he couldn't carry his own cross beam. It was just, he didn't carry the whole cross as we see right. in, right. in, in different, different, uh, renditions of that, but he just carried the cross beam that he was nailed to, his hands were nailed to. They would secure that to the, the vertical piece of the cross once they were up on the hill. But the cross piece was carried by the criminal, in this case, Jesus. And he was so beaten, so uh, hungry, so tired, had lost so much blood, he couldn't physically carry it. He was, was wiped out. And so the Roman guard just grabbed this dude in the crowd and said, hey, you're carrying it. Mm-hmm. And at first, I, I suppose he was a little bit you know, put out by that fact. But I think as he looks back, on things, he's probably at this point very thankful that that happened, because in the Gospel of Mark it says that that this guy Simon of Cyrene, uh, <clears throat> he was from Cyrene, which was uh, a city west of Alexandria on the north coast of Africa, um, and he was there to participate um, as a practicing Jew in the Passover. Hmm. And so there was a big to do going on in Jerusalem at the time. And so he was out watching it kind of like entertainment and Cyrene, like I said, was from Cyrene uh, or Simon of Cyrene was from Cyrene. And it said, Mark records that, that there were, uh, that Simon had two sons, Alexander and Rufus, hmm. right. In that same passage that he says, Simon of Cyrene was conscripted by the Romans to carry this cross. He said, and he had two sons named Alexander or Rufus, Alexander and Rufus, Mark 15. Um, and so you go, why, why these, these names? Why, why mention Simon of Cyrene? Why? Well, <laughs> when you start reading the other things in the Bible, you come across these names again. Hmm. And it's in Paul's benediction, his farewell to the Roman church. Then we discover, through scholarly research, that the Gospel of Mark was written from Rome. Hmm. So, somehow, Simon of Cyrene moved his family to Rome, probably for employment, and uh, Alexander, Rufus, Simon, and his wife became partner or participants in the Roman church, who hmm. received the, the epistle of Romans from Paul, because in the, in the farewell, he says, greet Rufus for me. He's my friend. Hmm. And, and so <laughs> you see the gospel here, the Simon of Cyrene had a close up eyeball to eyeball, maybe even a conversation with Jesus. Hmm. He walked up that, that, you know, one third of a mile walk from Jerusalem to the top of the mountain next to Jesus. Yeah. 
I wonder, you, you think Jesus was complaining to him? <laughs> you think Jesus was doing like, oh, poor me kind of conversations? And I'm, I'm innocent, man. Come on, man. You know, that wasn't happening. Yeah. I guarantee you, Jesus was, was speaking to his heart and his soul. Yeah. And Simon was picked out of a crowd like you and me are picked out of a crowd by the gospel, the, the, the grace and sovereign goodness of God. He just, boom, plucks him out. Yeah. And saved yeah. his soul. And, and his whole family's souls, all of them came to Christ. Yeah. They, were, they were partners in the gospel in Rome. Yeah. It's, yeah, a, that's... It's, a, it's a picture of the sovereignty of God in all of humanity. He, he decides to go in and pluck someone out of sin, out of their darkness, for their good and for their joy. And what did Jesus say earlier in his ministry about taking up your cross and following me? Yeah. yeah. Simon, Simon got him. Was, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty, pretty cool story. Yeah. And, and it just happens to fall in there like, in a, oh, yeah, this dude named Simon of Cyrene carried the cross up the hill. Yeah. That's the last you hear of him, yeah. except for Paul's farewell. So, yeah, yeah. good well, stuff. Yeah, it seems like it seems like especially especially in the crucifixion account itself, there's little things that are just kind of thrown in there. You know, yeah. we we talked about this I think last year when we we talked about Good Friday. You know, what's so good about Good Friday? But we talked about Barabbas. Like Barabbas is just, you know, in in the Synoptic Gospels, he's just kind of dropped in there. And it's a short little blurb about Barabbas. But can you just imagine what Barabbas experienced? <laughs> you know, I know that some people think that, that the cross that Christ died on was, was meant for Barabbas. Kind of like the one we should have taken. Yeah. What's, what's substitutionary atonement all about? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what a, what a picture. I think Barabbas knows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. I think it was John Piper or something that said, you know, Barabbas is is actually the first person in human history that's could say that Jesus died for me. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> literally. Yeah. Uh, Isn't that cool yeah. about those kind of things? Yeah, that's that's awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah. So another another question I want to ask you, John, is in in Matthew twenty seven, uh, when Christ dies. Uh, we see that the tombs, it says that the tombs, they break open and, and all the dead just start walking around throughout Jerusalem. Um, zombie movie. It's a zombie movie. What What's happening there? What's taking place there? I don't know. What do you think? I was going to see what you thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> well, uh, it's, it is kind of a bizarre story. Like what in the world? Why would that be included yeah. in the Gospels? It's just if anything kind of freaks you out. I mean, yeah. can you imagine being uh, a regular person in Jerusalem? All of a sudden, some famous saint from history walks down the street and says hi to you. Um, yeah, be like, you know, all of a sudden you're walking down the street and Spurgeon or Edwards walks up and says, "Hey." I'm Charles Spurgeon or I'm Jonathan Edwards or, you know, it'd be a little bit freaky. So, uh, yeah. So what, what happened there? Uh, 
it, it's not real clear. It's fairly obscure and um, obviously, but there, it's included. So why we need to, we need to have a thought about it. Right. Mm. So I think what's going on there uh, is that these were old believing old Testament saints, believers who looked forward to the coming Messiah being their redeemer, not their political king, but their redeemer. These people actually believed the gospel who had come out early. These people were saved by grace through faith. And I think what was going on there is they received their glorified bodies in advance of what will be typical of the rest of us, which will be at the end of time. We'll, you and I and all of us who are watching this, who know Christ, will receive our glorified bodies at the end of time when our spirits that are in heaven will be united to our, our glorified bodies that will be given to us by God. I think that happened to them early um, to, I think, attest to the power of the resurrection, not just Jesus's resurrection, but the resurrection of all who believe um, and kind of a foretaste of what's in store for all of us. We actually be able to walk around Jerusalem mm -hmm. or Yakima mm -hmm. or wherever. We'll have physical bodies that can interact with other people. And this was just kind of a little snippet, if you would, of uh, what's to come. It's a, it's a, it's a response to the, the death and evident resurrection of Christ. And then uh, what we can be looking forward to. I think, I think that's what, what I would answer why that happened. Um, nevertheless, it still probably freaked a lot of people out. <laughs> and it freaks me out just reading about it. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Really pretty, pretty different, pretty strange. Yeah. But this is what it says in First Thessalonians 4. It says this is what's going to happen to all of us. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be really pretty interesting, isn't it? In First Thessalonians 4, when it actually happens, yeah. you'll say, okay, God's going to say, okay, Jeremy, here's your new body. <laughs> and go, whoa, <laughs> that's a little improvement <laughs> over what I left. <laughs> kind of like a turbocharged Ferrari yeah. compared to what we're dealing with. Well, me, uh, what I'm dealing with, you, you're, you're so close to the Ferrari right now. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. That's I mean, crazy. well, when we sing the hymn rock of ages, it says that we're going to soar to worlds unknown. And so yeah. as long as I can soar, then I'll be, I'll be happy. That's all you care about, man. I gotta be soaring. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, when I, when I read the, uh, when I read the, uh, you know, Holy Week accounts as, as you work your way through those in, in the Gospels. It's always, there's always so much there that you can, you can take in and, and just, you know, think upon for, for so long. Um, it, but John is, because we can't meet this week uh, because of, you know, what we're going through. Uh, how can we as a church, how can we think on these things? How can we dwell on these things? How can we worship throughout this week? Um, when we when we can't actually physically meet together as a church, I thank you for asking that, Jerry, because I think that's a real practical question. Um, first of all, I think we need to be thankful, acknowledge the sovereignty of God in our current circumstances. Just be thankful. Mm -hmm. um, I know that it's a scary time. I know that there there may be people in our church who have lost loved ones because of this 
crisis, and there's no doubt before it's over, it'll impact us in significant ways as a church. But this didn't surprise God. He's not up there, like I think I heard one of our people say, wringing his hands, wondering what he's going to do now because this virus thing's a little bit out of control. Mm. So I think we need to be thankful and acknowledge that God is in control in spite of our, you know, crazed society mm -hmm. over this issue, crazed world really over this issue. But on top of that, um, starting for that, from that place, I think we ought to continue to worship this God who's in control of all things, including our day and Holy Week, the, the original Holy Week mm -hmm. that we've just talked about for the past 15 minutes. That, that God who's in control of our environment was in control of all the events of that first Holy Week that, that Jesus went through. Nothing surprised God. Nothing caught Jesus by surprise. He was completely in control of everything, including the moment he took his last breath. He says, no, I lay my, down my life by my free will. No one takes it from me. Mm -hmm. Jesus determined when he would stop breathing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's the same God in our day and in Jesus' in Jesus's earthly life that controls all events. From that place, let's continue to live as Christians who uh, regard our Savior in a special way during this week. How about reading the gospel accounts of Holy Week? Yeah. Wouldn't that be a good place to start? Read it to our children. Read it to our spouses. Pray through it personally. Pray through it with your family. Um, remember the love command of John 13. You remember the love command flows out of Holy Week. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, a, it's a critical part of God's plan for his people. Holy Week was the initiator of the command to love one another, which is why, where we get the idea of Monday Thursday. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it's a, that word Monday comes from the Latin word mandatum. It's a com love command. It's a command to love, John 13. And so maybe we should not just start from a position of thankfulness and acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God and read through the accounts, but practice loving one another. In a way that Jesus intended us to, you know, when he first gave the command back during that first Holy Week, John 13. So that's, that's one thing we can do. Love people in your neighborhood. Love people in your home. Love people in your small group. Love people at your work who are stuck at home themselves. They can't go to work. Maybe they need a little bit of extra money. Maybe they need some help of some kind. I don't know that you can offer and keep your, you know, social distance, whatever. Send a note. Send a text. Send them a link to our services at Sun Valley Church. Um, another thing, uh, Jeremy, maybe you'll talk about this, but we're going to be putting on a Good Friday service right this week. And it's going to be... That's huh? the, I said that's the goal. That's the goal, yeah, to put on a Good Friday service this week, Lord willing. Um, and, you know, you can have your own Monday, Thursday service in your own home with your family, maybe eat a very light dinner and read this, the, the uh, account of the um, arrest and um, crucifixion of our Savior on Thursday night with your family. That's just as valid as a Monday, Thursday with any other group of people. Um, but anticipate this video that we want to put together, Lord willing, for Friday. It'll be posted, I think, Friday morning. 
And uh, I want to uh, encourage our people to send that link to others in our church and, or in our community from our church. Uh, and then look forward to um, the point of Holy Week, which is Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday. Mm-hmm. When again, Lord willing, we will, we will post a celebration of the resurrection of our Savior, the celebration of our redemption in Christ. Um, so I think this is how we, as Christians, continue to worship and, and be Christians and um, be useful in the hands of God in terms of evangelism. Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks, John. Yeah, those are those are helpful tips on how we can uh, make the best use of of this week uh, yeah. as we as we celebrate Holy Week. Uh, Church, we do we do love you. We do miss you. We do look forward to being together with you again soon. Uh, we do um, encourage you to look for uh, Lord willing. We'll have a Good Friday video this Friday, and then we'll have our normal uh, Easter. Um, Sunday services available on Sunday as well. So uh, be looking out for those and sharing those with your friends and family as well. We love you. We look forward to uh, being with you again real soon. And uh, may the Lord be with you. Have a great day. Goodbye.